Vikinger Olafsson. Uh, it's wonderful to have this chance to talk to you here at All Classical Portland, and we're going to be talking to you about your new Mozart CD, Mozart and Contemporaries. So as with some of these previous discs, and you, you also kind of plunge us into a specific period for Mozart of the 1780s, which as the years go by, I find myself most interested in that period of the 1780s. He's, he's finally broken free of Salzburg. He's in Vienna. Things are going great. Mm. It was interesting. You know, the Magic Flute, which is written in such a difficult period, it's one of the most sunny pieces. And he, But Mozart had a sunny disposition on life. You know, he... He aimed for the sun. He aimed for, for 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 joy. He wanted to comfort. He wanted to spread joy, you know. But there are moments in his life when those things do go together, like with the A minor sonata, when you know, written so soon after the death of his mother, and the kind of overwhelmingly tragic nature of that, and then the horrible rift with the father, how the father blames Mozart for the death, and and all those awful things. Um, but you're right. You know, sometimes the, the lives of the composers have no correlation to to the to the music, and Mozart could write, like the little Gique, kleine Gique, which is a very Bachian piece. Mozart wrote this in a day uh, when he went to Leipzig, kind of in a refuge from the real world. Everything was going to hell for him you know he was out of fashion he had no money everything no one liked him anymore it was, it was really difficult and his music wasn't appreciated because it was already so far ahead of its time he went to, he went to leipzig for no real reason except that he just wanted to go to the saint thomas church you know where bach worked and where he's buried and um and he's there and he writes this the Gique, which is basically one of the most futuristic pieces of the of the 18th uh, century. It's just unbelievable. It's almost like something that could have been written in the 1920s. And it's just so beautiful and, and sort of comic and lighthearted. But we know it's like in the most despairing moment of his life, you know? But he writes this, this cosmic little thing. There we are, you know. He was, he was that person. He, you know, he had, he had a sunny disposition. We always have to remember that. But he also also belonged to an era that 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 was the whole idea. People were writing mostly in major keys still in the classical era. That was about to change. So the 1780s, like you say, it's the most incredibly fascinating time in music history, but also in in world history with the French Revolution around the corner, social structure about to change for good. The the crumbling sort of aristocracy really and and the role of the artist really changing and Mozart was simply ahead of that he was already fighting for his freedom away from the kings and the dukes and the counts and all those old tired people 
he wasn't writing music to please them, not not this kind of simple music that he would usually write like 10 or 15 years earlier. He was away from that. He was writing music for its own sake, art for art's sake. And, 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 and he was going back to the past, looking at the music of Bach for inspiration and everything just became much more experimental, bold, much more artistic, actually, more specific, uh, more daring. But he lost his public, you know, when he was writing maybe the greatest genre music ever, the, the string quintets, he had a subscription series for them, for the, for the printed editions, like people did in those days. Do you know how many subscribers he got? I know one. from your notes, it was one. Yeah, you have, yeah, 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 it's in my notes, yeah, <laughs> one. Can you believe it, you know, uh. it's, it's, it's unbelievable. One, I mean, and the, the, these string quintets, these incredible pieces. So, so in a way, as his music was reaching ever higher heights, you know, his popularity was just going lower and lower. And uh, Constanza, his his widow, would later say after he died that that he killed him, uh, that, that that overwork killed him, or he killed himself with overwork. You know, that, that that was the cause of death for Mozart. He he didn't sleep. He he didn't stop working, and he had to do so many different tasks. We also forget that he's kind of in that period becoming history's first indie musician. You know, he starts his own concert series when Vienna rejects him. He just start, takes things into his own hands and just hires the musician, hangs up the poster, sells the tickets, writes the music and plays it. Sells, sells out the series for like 250 people, uh, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, that those pieces were premiered for such a tiny crowd, you know. Uh, that's supposed to be the golden age of music when it was written, but I actually think the golden age is right now when we have uh, hundreds of millions listening to Mozart, billions actually listening to Mozart every year on the all the all the platforms and on the radio and and in the and in their you know private homes. Now, with the composers, the contemporaries of your disc, uh, some of them aren't literally contemporaries, and you point that out as well in your notes. There are lots of composers who came before Mozart, some who were somewhat contemporary with him as a young man. And so I wondered how out of all the composers you landed on Galuppi and Domenico Cimarosa as composers to include and up next to Mozart. Well, Galuppi just strikes me as such an important keyboard voice of that century and that era. I mean, such a brilliant keyboard composer, much more brilliant than Cimarosa, certainly, in the way he writes for the piano and the way he understands the forte piano or the, or the keyboard that he was writing for. And I think the music that I've chosen by Galuppi, which is actually the first track on the album and also uh, another track just before the C minor sonata of Mozart, those two pieces are very futuristic to me, you know, and I, and I tended to choose kind of visionary pieces by these contemporaries to to, to to sort of show us, you know, in a way, a little bit of a bridge from our time to 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 that to theirs, you know. So, for instance, in the F minor sonata of Galuppi, it sounds 
the opening track of the album. It sounds almost like Philip Glass opening the first track on my Philip Glass album. It's music without melody, really. It's just rhythmic patterns and harmonic progressions. It's extremely modern, you know, uh, and, and hypnotic and, and beautiful and very unusual for the time. And the Galuppi F minor, similarly, I wanted to have the F major rondo of Mozart that came first. And then I found this Galuppi that almost feels like a sleepwalking Schubert impromptu or something. And I just thought this would be really interesting as an opening track, because I like the opening tracks to be kind of big question marks. They should sort of make you feel, you know, they, should, they should make you question uh, what you know about, you know, the music and, and how you're listening to it. That's how, that, that that's anyway what these pieces did to me. They made me question my own knowledge. Let me just ask you a question just about the the time that you spent creating this recording. Kind of a two-part quick question. The process, was it Mozart and Mozart playing Mozart made you think of CPE Bach, made you think of that particular Haydn sonata, or was it the other way around? And would you consider this a process that you, as so many musicians, like I recently interviewed Jeanne Thiboudet, um, made during the pandemic during isolation at home and, and a chance to really uh, spend time on, on the disc. Mozart came first and I chose the pieces that I really wanted to bring out in Mozart. And I didn't want to simply have an album, yet another three sonata album of Mozart. Uh, so I chose all these miniatures, you know, the uh, the, 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 the two rondos, the, all those things. And then, you know, with the D major rondo, I wanted to connect it to a rondo of Carl Philipp Manuel Bach, so I chose the, you know, there's a D minor rondo on there. You know, with the Fantasia of Mozart, the Cimarosa Sonata then came. So Mozart was always first, and then I played through the complete works of his contemporaries, more or less, uh, to find out parallels in their works and, and use them for, for context. So that's how that was. Pianist Vikingur Olafsson, whose new recording on Deutsche Grammophon, Mozart and Contemporaries, was released in September and is currently being heard on all classical Portland. I'm John Pittman, thanking Mr. Olafsson for joining me for this arts blog here on allclassical.org.